Welcome to the New Habits Podcast, where executives and MVPs from Microsoft Partners discuss the Microsoft Teams application and its use in enterprises. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to uh, New Habits Podcast for 2020. So we're going to broaden out a little bit this year and think a bit beyond Microsoft Teams and how other aspects of our modern office working, modern teamwork, and even stuff in our private life and our consumer space influences our comfort with that modern teamwork and experience. So, hi Paul, hi Susie, welcome hi. back. Happy Hello. New Year. Happy New Year to you. And and we are not excluding Victor permanently. He's just uh, in, in the air at the at this recording time. So, welcome Victor, even though he can't reply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, the three of us are actually over in Redmond this week, seeing some very exciting things with the Project Cortex, um, which we're going to have uh, a couple more podcasts on in the coming weeks. Um, to explore how knowledge management, information management is really going to appear in Office 365 and the Microsoft, Microsoft 365 space. I'm personally a little bit excited to, for this uh, this series of, of episodes we're planning just to talk about the bigger picture of the knowledge management and bringing it to the masses. So it's kind of nice to, to focus on a, on a topic for a series here. So hopefully all the listeners will come along for the journey because I think uh, there's a lot of value we can add there. and a lot of insights uh, from us that uh, we hope will help you. By the time Project Cortex is uh, released in, in May, I'm sure just through listening to this podcast, people are going to know exactly what they're going to do with the service. I think there's a lot of excitement around it at the moment. You know, we, we saw it Ignite, the big announcements, um, obviously. You know, that was the capabilities. It's very exciting, but uh, but I think over the you know coming few months we're going to see how we've got to translate that into actions to prepare a company, prepare a, an information estate into readiness for that new technology because it's it's not going to be a silver bullet that's going to magically gain you advantage by just being able to mine content that you've got because. First and foremost, you have to have things in Office 365, which obviously most enterprises are a split estate between some Adobe Cloud, some Google Cloud, Microsoft Cloud. File servers. File servers, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, one of the lines of thinking that really threads uh, today's session and the next few is that with technology enabling this graph-like understanding of who we are and what we're interested in and what we're doing, um, with such a sort of broad net available about us, increasingly the design and the thinking behind specific user experiences is going to become really, really important, whether we're looking at uh, the consumer arena, uh, knowledge management within the workplace, um, or indeed we're, as practitioners, designing knowledge management experiences. Yeah, I think um, we're, we're going to kick off and I think we're going to talk about some of the aspects and the trends from the Consumer Electronics Show, um, the CES event that happened recently in America. Um, one, of, one of the trends that we're seeing really in an enterprise workspace kind of experience now is that where a consumer technology is, is driving us in our home and personal life to, to kind of take hold of a technology and, 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 and begin to sort of experience that, it's making it 
far more readily acceptable within the workplace for the similar type of technologies to become part of the working experience. So this, this whole kind of CX, customer experience, is starting to influence our behaviours and our acceptance of those technologies in a, an employee experience. And I think that's a, a very interesting pivot and moment in this modern workplace experience. Because obviously Microsoft have been driving a lot of innovations, a lot of new tech, a lot of shiny things. But, you know, we look think of SharePoint Spaces. It's an augmented reality experience. That hasn't seemed to really take off in the consumer space. And I worry that because the consumer space isn't really sort of widespread, how's that going to translate into the internal employee experience? You know, are we going to be comfortable sitting with a phone and a VR headset on at our desks when we wouldn't do it in the privacy of our own home? But the, the, the consumer market and consumer technologies has really informed and been the, the driving force behind loads of improvements in workplace technology. I think it was uh, probably seven or eight years ago uh, that businesses started wanting to deliver responsive mobile experiences for their internal platforms um, uh, as well as their websites because uh, as was driven by the consumer market and the consumer experience with uh, mobile apps, websites that were responsive, uh, that was something that uh, businesses took on and, and saw as being a really good way to aid employee productivity and support employee retention. Uh, I think t today where we, we have that sort of ubiquity with devices, nobody really thinks about it. Most software vendors, uh, including, of course, Microsoft, uh, deliver um, responsive technology out of the box. It's now uh, we seem to be sort of looking at some of those trends in the consumer market uh, around delivering tailored experiences. And I think businesses are sort of thinking about how to leverage that. Yeah, I agree. I think one of the one of the sort of big trends that was seen at the CES uh, event was the role of search becoming so much more fundamentally the core of many of the experience now. You know, we are impatient to get to answers. We're impatient to get action from from a technology. So some of the some of the things and that you see in the Microsoft Search roadmap that they announced at Ignite, you know the um, artificial intelligence, the um, acronym panels that they're going to bring to the experience is is aligning very well with that search-centric uh, model. You know, we're, we're, we're used to shouting at uh, Echo Dot or a, um, other smart assistant in, in the home to turn the lights on. There's now going to be an acceptance that being able to do the same to say, hey, where's the nearest free meeting room or, you know, tap a wall and turn the lights on in 20 minutes. Well, and, and, and the, you know, for the technical people listening, right, we've already seen this when you, you yell at the, at the device, turn on the lights or do something. There's already the understanding of what, what is being communicated. But then once you understand the utterance, to use the technical term, right, once, I once we know what, what the user is asking, how do we act on that command? And again, I need to look something up somewhere, and I'm sure... In an enterprise, that really could mean projects or documents or teams or people or, or rooms or whatever the case may be. So yeah, I would agree at yeah, being able to quickly find what it is or translate what the person's looking for into something that, that I can act upon 
is going to boil down to search. So I, I totally am on board with that. And and while the uh, all the various assistants do searches in different ways, you know, Google versus Amazon. If we're in the Office 365 space, that certainly means we want to make sure our search corpus is is in good shape. And so I can see a lot of a lot of effort needing to go into that as well. Yeah. One of the things that Wes said in his introduction was around Project Cortex and the need for uh, content to be readily available that's good quality in order for search to perform. And I think one of the key differentiators between good consumer search experiences like uh, Alexa or Google Home um, versus uh, that sort of amped up search experience in the workplace is that when you're shouting at Alexa, uh, as we've sort of said, it might be to turn on the lights or to order a birthday present or something uh, where the Alexa is responding to a command but has the right knowledge and information to mine. I think the translation of that into the workplace isn't so hot. I mean, in many ways, we're still engaging with organizations that have the same problems they had 15 years ago. This information is out of date. There are multiple versions of the same copies. So do we think there's going to be a significant time lag before businesses can feel the benefits of new search experiences? Or do we think it's not possible at all? I mean, they're, they're you know, fundamentally, uh, one is uh, the consumer experience is looking at good quality content and most workplaces, um, uh, new search experiences are looking at really poor content. Yeah, and I think you have a very, very interesting point there because coming back to that thread of when Cortex launches, how many enterprises are going to be ready to really take advantage of it? Because I I think many looked at that announcement and thought, oh, you know what, I can just point it at my existing content and it will magically tell me lots about it. And, and really, that's a sort of nominal value. That, that's like indexing everything and saying, hey, shouting finance report 2020 and seeing what comes back. I think the knowledge management aspects, aspects and this preparation for, for Cortex's arrival is, is, is critical to that success. And 50% of that is that search aspect. You know, we're, we're seeing technologies like AI Builder, which is capable of interrogating a similarly structured document over many instances and pulling out entities from that. Now, that requires organisations to go through change programmes which think about the process and now need to consider how the mining of that content is going to be done through that process. I mean, I've just been um, here, in the, here in the States this week and last week uh, doing enterprise onboardings within Teams. And some of the sort of core aspects of that was trying to prepare those teams to, to inject that mining activity. So rather than doing work potentially in emails and, and Excel sheets, it was thinking about how to bring that into SharePoint lists and flow or well, Power Automate so that we have the opportunity to inject some AI into the process. So I think it's going to be an exciting times for organizations that, that plan that well. And I also think the most successful organizations are going to look at that capability and really target in specific areas. 
not sure that it's going to be consistent across many enterprises in, in the sense of, is everyone going to go after new business or is everyone going to go after finance? You know, what, what's the sweet spot? And is it consistent across enterprises? Because Cortex, you know, is in preview. But if we think about uh, different industries, I think across an industry, the, the management capabilities are, again, different maturities. So, so construction and the built environment are a, a very strong um, industry when it comes to understanding building information management knowledge management, skills and expertise, because they leverage that during the execution of a project. Something much more like a professional services company where they are reacting to demands of the customer in, in many cases, are going to have a harder time injecting AI, injecting automated extraction of knowledge, because the requests that come in are so varied. You know, that kind of the very the very nature of that, I think, kind of ties into Susie's question about well, the consumer habits. How will they translate? Right. So if I if I'm at home and I want to have the assistant do something, there's a pretty limited set of capabilities that you would expect. There's lights. There's you know environmental controls or or just, uh, audio, right? So I'm not going to be do throwing some random string at at the device to control my home automation. So there's kind of a, a narrow scope of what's happening. And if I'm doing a broader search, when a user's sitting on their sofa or in asking a search, if you get a result that's less targeted, maybe that's not a problem. How many, how many of us have searched for something on, on the internet and end up, you know, 20 minutes later reading some random Wikipedia page because it interested us? There's less of that, you know, laser focus at home if you're just casually browsing and trying to find information. So I think that that varied results doesn't bother us so much in a personal scope, but in a business scope, I need to get answers now. Either someone's on the phone or I'm headed to a meeting, I need to get the answer. So I think, yeah, having a, a more rigid scope or a more rigid process that gives us a more laser focused scope is going to be, see the immediate benefit and the rest I think we'll have to work toward toward getting there. Yeah. In the March New Habits podcast we've actually got Simon Denton uh, joining us from Mott McDonald who are a uh, sort of launch partner for Project Cortex and he'll be talking to us about how they're in the construction industry, the built environment sector that Wes just uh, alluded to, have made use of it. So I think between us there for a change is perhaps some consensus um, that uh, the, the sort of scenarios and use cases almost need to be honed down a little bit um, within an, an organization, certainly within a sector, to help um, get ROI on the use and the investment um, of that new capability. And I know we talked in the past about how user adoption can be kind of a, a crazy number to care about, but the, the getting people to feel confident with this new world is going to help if they have if you have a narrow focus and they can get immediate results and see the benefit, then they're more likely to try it in more of a less defined scope, I would think, right? So it would certainly help get people on board or, or, or building confidence, I guess, in, in a solution built on this, right? Yeah, I think the... Um the readiness and the availability of one version of the truth is going to be a core tenant of how successful an organization is in getting value out of this experience. I think where you've got a very methodical and almost mathematical kind of organization like a built environment, 
you know, even even a creative engineering company still has to deal with physics, and physics, you know, has a certain set of parameters. But when you think about something where you move the other end of that spectrum into the creative industry, <clears throat> they're not dealing with Word documents all day. They're dealing with video, they're dealing with motion, they're dealing with physical display. You know, how knowledge management works in that type of scenario is, is very different. And I think it's going to be interesting to see where they get the real value and the real intelligence circling back to a team and seeing you know, how it influences the behavior. Well, that kind of def depends upon how we're getting the information back to users, right? So I know the Project Cortex demos that we've seen are generally in like a Word or, or an Office application or, or in a SharePoint page. And, and users don't always spend all day in there. So I think part of the, the, the decisions that people have to make is how, how best to get this information back to users, even, even you know, assuming it all goes well at the beginning and I have this laser focus and I find the, the corpus of data and, I, and the search terms work, how do I surface them? So you're right, that, 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 that interface that users are gonna see is gonna be very, very important as well to, for the consumption of the outputs of Project Cortex. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, thinking of, of consumer technology now and some of the things that are actually available off the shelf today, if we move beyond, um, you know, the voice assistant, and we think about some of the products, um, smart kitchen appliances is, is a really interesting space right now. So I know here in the US, there's some smart microwave, smart cooker fronts. Um, over in the UK, Samsung do a smart things range, light bulbs right way through to a, a fairly, fairly expensive embedded Android device in the front of a fridge. And the concept here is to make that a family hub where the family can come together and order an Uber, uh, see their calendars, hook it up to um, the voice assistant that, that Samsung have. Um, and it becomes this device in your kitchen that you kind of run past and see what's going on. You know, effectively becomes the corkboard uh, in, the, in the modern kitchen. And, and I think that's an, an interesting um, direction for appliance manufacturers to go because what they're starting to do is, is suggest that your smartphone is not the only device that you need to kind of interact with. The smart TV is not the only device. You know, so we've got this connected ecosystem within our house. We can, from our smartphone, see who's at the door. We, we can do the same from our kitchen. We can do the same from our living room. Um, and it's going to be quite fun to watch, I think, how those style of technologies start to be brought into the modern physical workspace. When you think about the current trend of downsizing physical office to, you know, three people to every two seat, and the open plan. You know, most offices you go to are open plan, hot desking. Um, and meeting room technology, you know, we've seen Surface, we've seen the newly announced Surface Hub, um, and how people are going to be comfortable with just walking up to one of those devices and how it's going to log you in and how we're going to deal with all the kind of sensitivity of the information it suddenly might project. Um, I think it's a lot harder in an enterprise space for those technologies to feel trusted. I would absolutely agree with that. And, and I think that... Um, 
Well, this is typical, I think, along the many things you see in the consumer space. While I don't necessarily need my refrigerator to be smart, I want it to participate in the ecosystem so that I don't have to find my phone to see what's going on. I can look at, because I'm in the kitchen making dinner, I can see everything there. That, I, yeah, but translating that then to the secure environment of a meeting room is going to be a struggle. Uh, and, and I think the... Again, that kind of ties back to the knowledge management discussion we started with. You can't just have stuff out there and let anybody see it because you go into a meeting room and if Wes walks into the meeting room first and logs into the display, does that mean all of Wes's data is not visible to anyone who comes into the meeting later and should that be? So yeah, that's a very interesting aspect to understand how, how best to manage that. I think there's a difference between being connected and being contextual. Um, you, you talked a minute ago, Wes, about you know, the home security system can show you who's at the door. We've got smart TVs that record our shows and promote programs to us that we've watched similar of uh, before. Um, uh, they're contextual. You know, I want to know who's at the door and uh, I, I do want to watch certain shows. And um, for me, something we've, we've got to be careful not to assume that all home technologies are, are good ideas. The idea of the sort of Android experience on the fridge um, for me is going to die a death. I mean, I can't imagine what why you would walk up to the fridge to do anything except get something out of it. So, uh, and I think, again, if you apply that to the workplace, for, for me, the translation is, um, uh, you know, an augmented reality headset might be really useful if you're designing a physical space uh, as an architecture firm, as a construction firm, maybe as a visual retailer, um, but it's, it's not going to translate to... A, a, an organization that produces uh, advertising assets, for example, it, it's, you know, it's about having the right tool for the job. And I think that the meeting space thing uh, is a little bit for me more like the conversation about um, mobile phones and laptops, which is uh, in, in organizations, you do collaborate on, on things and, um, in order to collaborate in a frictionless way, you need to be able to access that content where you need to. And for a normal desk worker, that's going to be the phone, the meeting room, or, or the desk. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. It, it's quite fun when you think about if you were if you were designing a meeting space. You, you know, traditionally, a meeting space has been large table, ten chairs. TV at the end, more, more recently, a webcam-enabled TV and speakers. But really, are we arming the employees with the right equipment if we think about everybody's not necessarily now in that room? We're remote workers. So one of the great innovations that we saw last year was the whiteboard capability within Teams, you know, being able to project a physical whiteboard and do some smart things with it. But I think if you, you know, if you were thinking about how to empower a set of employees to have more intelligent meetings, firstly, let's assume they're not in a meeting room. They're sat at their desk. You know, it's basic stuff like decent headset, being able to actually talk, uh, webcams enabled, encouraging that kind of human to human connection. But then I think the things like the Surface device and their equivalent, something stylus enabled, 
actually allows everybody to have kind of their own whiteboard and share the, share that whiteboard within the meeting. Everyone can contribute, which is an equivalent of what we're used to having of a 12 foot whiteboard stuck to a wall that we all scribble on during a meeting and then someone takes a photo. So again, we've got these great innovations in Teams, in Microsoft 365. We've, we've got great innovations in the supporting technologies within a meeting experience within those. But I don't think there's many organizations really considering is the old flip-top laptop with, with a non-touch enabled screen, no stylus, is that complementary to that experience or is, actually, is it reducing it back to in driving a behavior of we all have to sit there and type and listen or be on the phone call, you know. So I think it's, I think it's quite a, an obvious moment where, where an IT function within an organization, when you're thinking about how physical hardware they're providing to, a, to an employee, influences the knowledge creation. You know, we're all writing in moleskins and then typing an email as a summary. That's, that's harder to mine than if we had a very fluid whiteboard style shared workspace. But doesn't that become an issue for while, while an IT department or thought leaders, a CIO may think that's a, a great approach, at the end of the day, it comes down to dollars and cents and how much extra do I need to spend to enable that type of thinking? And, and I wonder how many plain old organizations will, will say it's worth the investment, right? I'm not so, I'm not so sure that even the, even though the consumer market has got, you know, prices are continually being driven down, is, are we seeing the same kind of price in the in the enterprise market? I, I, I'm curious how that how that would shake out. It's so interesting that you say that because, uh, as Wes was talking, I thought, wow, there's definitely something in this uh, about um, old patterns of of behaviour, old habits being hard to shake, because uh, what I certainly. Uh, see across different organizations we we touch every week um, it is uh, broadly speaking a, a willingness and acceptance that people need um, you know new laptops uh, the big shiny surface TVs no worries about that because IT people are very comfortable buying hardware but real um, sort of reluctance to uh, pay for the change management that would actually enable um, the intelligent use of those tools. Um, uh, certainly in the last probably six months, at least three or four occasions, we've walked into organizations' offices that have the nice new um, surface screens in, in the meeting rooms, and nobody knows how to use them. So they're sort of there gathering dust. Uh, and I suppose that the, perhaps the takeaway um, needs to be a level of challenging those who very readily will pay for the hardware without taking people on that journey with them. I mean, why bother giving everybody a fab surface that you can whiteboard on using the stylus if you're not going to do an onboarding with people into teams into that whiteboarding capability? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think um, I've personally done onboarding sessions into Teams where my Surface is hooked to just a standard off-the-shelf TV. No fancy webcam on it, just a 65-inch LCD screen. And as soon as people in the room realized that actually 
if they hook their machine up and they're all joining the Teams call and the sharing, you know, I want to share something off my screen, I grab the share and everybody in the room can see the, the thing on the TV, that change, you see the light bulbs going off around the room. It's like, oh, wow, we don't actually even need to come to the meeting room. We could just sit at our desks and, and interactively swap who's displaying the, the, the latest note or the latest image. So, so I absolutely agree. It, it's, it's not about putting dollar value into, into every piece of hardware. It's evaluating where you're going to get the highest value from that, from that investment. You know, if you, if, you, if you can't afford those $80,000 massive walls of TV, can you, can, you, can you spend half of that on onboarding the 100 people that would be using that meeting room to, to get a better experience with the technology tools? Yeah, exactly. Oh, and though maybe the, the, the investment's better in, in the individual's equipment, laptop, surface, whatever, and the training with just a, 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 a dumb monitor hanging on the wall that can share what people are doing. Yeah, that, that makes that'd be a good, a good approach. And, and I think investing in the, in the employees, training them how these tools can work, it's just an extension of the collaboration suite that you deploy to your office, right? If we're using Teams to help collaborate, well, part of that means a meeting as well as you know one-on-one. So yeah. it's certainly worth investing in. So I kind of want to just shift a little bit into back, back into the Teams app and some of the, the, the updates that we've seen in the recent months. Um, so one of, the, one of the sort of first ones that I want to mention is some of the uh, clients now, not everybody yet globally, but some of the clients are starting to see the SharePoint style files experience um, on the files tab. So you're either in sort of the older version, which is a very Teams simplistic version of files, or you're now going to start seeing the SharePoint view of the world where you start seeing the action bar and it's got the buttons that you would see in the document library view over in SharePoint. And actually what we've seen with um, organizations that are getting the new version, it gives us an opportunity to discuss OneDrive Sync in a whole new way. So if you're in old world, the advice and, you know, I don't want to use best practices because it's always a bit of a loaded term, but it, an accepted practice during an onboarding was, was probably to encourage the team to go to the root of that document library and click sync and sync the whole folder structure. Obviously, great things with Windows 10 files on demand and the Mac OS files on demand. So we're not physically putting documents on the device until they're needed. And it made the file structure look like the Y drive of old. So employees were super comfortable with that. But with this change, basically, it's encouraging our employees to sync just a channel. And again, this starts to shape when we think about knowledge management and the stuff that we're going to begin to talk over in the next few podcasts. This one subtle UI change has unlocked a very different behavior with a team because actually when they start thinking in this current model, a channel becomes a bundle of activity, whether that's a bundle of projects under a thread. So, you know, they're designing a, a new product and it's all the projects related to that particular product or it's uh, a stage within the process and all the conversation about that particular stage. It allows teams to become much bigger, 
grouping bundles together that are logical. So you might decide to have an entire program of work with individual project streams as channels, whereas it used to be that it was a good it was good advice to split those out because the way sync worked, it was much more obvious where you were and people were onboarded and felt more comfortable to have multiple teams surrounded that program of work. So we're seeing seeing some of the UI changes that are driving to this consolidation of lots of activity around a parent, if you like, a project, a client, a customer. And the sync button is as part of that rollout is now enabling a team to say, hey, I'm only interested in that bundle of stuff. Um, so it's, it's, it's been an interesting one over the last few weeks because obviously many, many organizations have had teams on now since launch day. So an onboarding now tends to be into a team that's already working. It's already got a team's team. And how you morph their thinking around the capabilities they've got on the file structure and, and, and those kind of pieces, I found it a fantastic addition to the experience being able to sync that channel independently. I think that'll also ease some of the concern about private channels as they roll out further, that if I'm doing a sync at the team level, how do these private files get handled versus syncing individual channels? And so I think that, that certainly is gonna help there as well. Um, and, and, and again, I, I, you know, to, to me, it wouldn't matter so much to me if I, if, if I, I guess it depends on your role, right? If you, if you own the team and you're bouncing back and forth, maybe that is more confusing, but it certainly is yet another tool in a toolkit, right? For some folks, they want to have a more focused view and others would have a more macro view. So I think that's, that's nice to see. Yeah. And I think the, the, you mentioned an interesting point, you know, private channels. I don't want to get down in the weeds of their, their technical implementation and whether it's pure and good and, 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 uh, and a sensible choice. I mean, it is what it is. But we, we saw this, interestingly, we saw this massive voting on, on we need private channels. I've yet to see some in the wild. I haven't seen an organization that is using them in common scenarios. There's one or two pockets of teams that might have private channels but for the most part, they've actually, from a governance point of view, most organizations are, that I'm working with are turning them off, stopping people being able to do it because it's counter to the idea of the team being a unit that work together. So it's been an interesting actually seeing the boots on the ground view of private channels landing, having had all of the community fanfare and very strong opinions from, from some around their necessity. Um, but actually, employees are still sitting there. I disagree with you on this, Wes. I, I still think they're a really good idea. We're using them internally at Add-in365 with our customer projects um, for, for, for sens sensitive dialogue. I think it's still really early days. I totally understand why that uh, may be a capability that's not been widely socialized yet as organizations figure through um, it, it, its correct uses for them. Um, but uh, as with previous Knee Habits podcasts, I will fight you on its value. I think they're a great idea. I'm not necessarily debating whether it's a great idea. I think it's just an interesting observation huge user user voice count yet in you know in organizations with tens of thousands of employees 
they're kind of in tiny little pockets of 20 or 30 people. Um, I mean, yes, you're right. We, we use them internally for certain things, and I think they fit well. But it's just an interesting observation of the large fanfare of its demand versus the lag of implementation. And I think, you know, this is just an, a really microcosm example of how Teams is quite a long way ahead in, in, in physical capability and technical capability than the readiness of an organization, you know, giving yet more strength to, you can't rely on organic rollout that people will discover the value of these things. It really needs to be positioned with the individual teams that they have a place for this scenario and that scenario, but they shouldn't be used to kind of have that, oh, I, I want to keep my stuff secret from everyone just because there's no real value, value to it. Well, and to bring that back around to, to our, our topic for this quarter is that it, you want to educate your employees about, is it relevant if I put something in a private channel, its value in the project cortex output is, is diminished. Obviously, we don't know all the details yet, but you can envision a scenario that while that's something maybe help help to drive the you know people in the team understand what's happening in this project. If it's a private, if you just dump something in a private channel because that's what you've synced to your PC or because that's the one that you used recently without without applying some thought to it, is that going to be a, a factor there? So these all kind of tie together, and and I, I didn't see the need for a private channel myself so i'm on west's side on that one about the usage but i think that i think that victor's normally on my side well notice how we had this conversation when he wasn't here so we can we can well, shout me down, shout me down. <laughs> we, we, we can just wind him up the fact that he's in the clouds and he's always telling us how he works on a plane but this is the one time he couldn't he couldn't get connected uh, anyway so so i want to i want to just talk about an, a, another great feature that's just come to the team's experience not fully rolled out yet i know some people have got it and, and some haven't um, but this is the idea of tagging, uh, and we're going to talk about metadata in Teams over the next couple of sessions, but, but tagging the individual team members, tagging the human, which is kind of an exciting moment because um, this really empowers a team to stop separating disciplines out into like hidden areas and the private areas that we kind of might suddenly find. So if you're in a project, you're in a program of work, let's assume you've got 10 projects within that program and each has a different project management so the concept is that within the team membership you could go along and tag with any free form tag you like so in this situation maybe you want to go and tag those 10 individuals with the word pm and in situations of old what we might have found is that there was a distribution list called you know program pms and it was all happening in email and then six months ago, it was probably a dedicated team called, you know, program-pms. And it was all kind of hidden conversation. And it wasn't because it needed to be hidden. It was because the targeting of the conversation needed to be quite specific. And the guidance people were getting was a channel, was equivalent to a folder on a folder structure. And we didn't have a dedicated folder called PM. So people felt, well, we need a separate place to have a PM conversation. But now with this new tagging capability, it introduces the tag as an app mention. So if you're in project A and you want to ping, you have a cascade moment where the client says, well, you know, we want to fundamentally change the color from blue to red. And you know that's going to affect all projects in the program. You'd be able to go in now and say, instead of at team, which mentions 200 people, you want to mention that 10 PMs. So you can say at PM, 
your message and start kicking the conversation off against that horizontal cheesecake slice across your team. And I think, I think this is a, a really exciting capability for this new model of, of how you can use the team's team to being a much larger collection of people bundling together related work back to this kind of information management, not necessarily knowledge, but the information aspects, how we think about information architecture. We, do we have a team that's the entire customer relationship? And do we tag that all the different people with their disciplines? Do we tag them with the project streams they're responsible for and therefore be able to cross message between channels? That does open a lot of scenarios. And what's next, right? Let me let me put a tag on a document and and do a similar kind of thing. So I think that's that's great. However, we're back to the let's make sure we uh, onboard our our staff and teach them how these capabilities can work and what may make sense in our organization because otherwise we end up tagging everything. And how many times have you seen something on Twitter where there's, the message itself is four words, but there's 25 tags added. So at some point, it's, it's a lot of noise. So uh, it's encouraging, but I think, again, it's uh, the onus upon us to, to help our, our, our users leverage this to the, to the best for our organization. Yep. Okay. So I think that was uh, like the, big, the big topics we wanted to talk about this week. And I just want to say thanks to those who persevered for our downtime that we've had uh, over the holidays, but we're, we're back and lining up a lot of good content for you. The, the next session Victor's going to lead in February on uh, knowledge management uh, from the formal sense. So uh, what do we actually mean by knowledge management? How has that meaning changed over time? Uh, and then in March, uh, we've got um, Simon Denton and Susan Handley on talking about their real world experiences in trying to execute knowledge management projects in the enterprise. So lots to look forward to. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Bye. The New Habits Podcast is produced by Add-in365. Thank you to Victor Villain for participating. Please leave a review in iTunes along with a five-star rating. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening.